Welcome to the CTO Connection Podcast. I'm Peter Bell, and every couple of weeks, I'll be sharing interviews with top engineering leaders. Today, I'm speaking with Colin Bodell, the CTO at Groupon. Colin, thanks so much for taking the time to speak today. Nice to chat to you, Peter. Now, I know you're going to be presenting at the Chicago CTO Summit on Wednesday, May 1st, and the proposed title is Scratch Your Own Itch and Then Scratch Theirs. Where did that come from and what are you going to be talking about? So it's it's always a different presentation each time, but it's really predicated on the the thought or, or the notion that we're all busy, we're all technologists, we're all creating software and solutions for a particular objective. And the danger, or perhaps the missed opportunity, is that other value could be derived from what you're building. But if you're so laser focused on the immediate objective, you may pass by those opportunities. So what I'm going to talk about is I'm going to tell a couple of stories about technology Um, that's evolved, uh, in fact, in one case in the 1950s and was developed for one particular use case, but actually uh, wound up being much more successful for a completely different use case. I don't want to give too much away because it won't spoil the surprise, but it's very much story-based. And and the predicate really is we're all planners. We think very deeply, and whether we're using Waterfall or Agile, whatever implementation methodology, we have guide rails that we stay within for, for very good reasons. The danger, of course, becomes that those guide rails, yes, keep us on the straight and narrow in regard to the, the primary objective of the implementation or the, the development, but may effectively blinker us from other opportunities that may exist. And I want to talk to the audience and, and help them think about how they open themselves up on a continuous basis for almost sort of, uh, uh, you know, alternative opportunities for that which they're building. Now, that's a really interesting distinction because I I think there's almost two components to this. One that I I see in a lot of companies thinking about, which is how to consider just simple reuse within the org, right? When an org gets big enough, there's a trade-off between, should we just have two pizza teams and they all reinvent the wheel in different languages? Or should we have some centralized architecture function and like reuse components and, and, and make that work? But this seems to be going beyond that to saying, wait a second, if we packaged this in this way and sold it to small businesses instead of enterprises, we could 10x our revenues. How do you balance the being open to those opportunities, but also having the discipline to actually deliver the things you'd committed in your OKRs or your quarterly plan? Yeah, and I think there's, you know, you almost you know, hit the nail on the head that to me, there's three levels. There's the there's the paying, you know, the, the doing your day job, achieving that which you were you were brought in and hired to do. And there are business problems and business opportunities that you have to thoroughly understand, construct the, the implementation strategy, implement, verify, deploy, and then get continuous feedback and, and then go on and refine. From a you know a large organization, my my engineering and my technology teams of maybe uh, twelve hundred people across six or seven development centers around the world. And, you know, there's, there's perhaps a value in anarchy, um, letting people be very and uh, uniquely creative in a, in a per location or per problem or, or, or opportunity silo. But that can lead to, as you said, you know, repetitive or duplicative work. So, you know, guide rails or, or architectural principles that we use, for example, at, at Groupon is, you know, core platform architecture 
which is then used by all of our vertical organizations that may be in the local space, maybe in the good space, in, in our marketing technology organization, our customer service organization. So we, we architect a platform in which all of these verticals live. And there are some quite you know strict rules that, of course, we break <laughs> very frequently, um, but, with, but with clear forethought. But there are some rules that we, we follow to ensure that we're all moving forward and, and working effectively, but you're marching to the beat of the same drum, if you like. And then we let each of the verticals kind of innovate based on the specific needs of their customers. So that's, that's kind of one other level. But all of that is in support of the function of the business and, and our support of our customers and our support of our merchant relationships. And you can be terribly focused on that and yet have designed or implemented something or conceived of something that may actually have applicability in a different dimension. And you know, all good engineers are, you know, are taught to follow the specification or, or, to, or to architect thoroughly, uh, follow the specification and implement as, as defined because we have business teams, we have marketing teams that are lined up around us to take these solutions to market. You know, in many cases, it takes a, a bold engineer or a bold leader to step up and say, hey, here are some alternative solutions. So yeah, you know, good question. How do you, you know, how do you, how do you bring that into the organization? It's, it's by discussion. It's, it's talking about these sort of things. You know, you never know when the next serendipitous opportunity is going to come along or the serendipitous idea is going to come along. But making people aware and emboldening them and giving them a voice to be able to share those ideas across the organization and letting them know that, you know, the answer may be no. But on the other hand, the answer might be yes, and it may take us in a completely different direction. And in fact, one of the examples I'll talk about at the, at the presentation is about a company that set off, you know, doing one line of business and a tool that they built for themselves. Uh, actually, they, you know, became the, the solution that they took to market and became a market leader. But if they weren't open and aware of that opportunity, if they weren't, you know, providing some of those capabilities externally and working with partners, that opportunity could have been completely missed. And that, of course, you know, in retrospect, would have been a, a very sad thing. Now, in, in uh, you know, a forethought, it's, it's quite a very positive thing for them. Now, when you think of catching those opportunities, does this impact the way that you speak to your organization, your directors, your managers about hiring? Is it something that you explicitly look for engineers that have that entrepreneurial, what's the business problem focus as opposed to, I got an algorithm for this? Yeah, it's, um, you know, we hire, we want to hire talented engineers wherever they are in the world. And we have standards in regards to how we recruit how we onboard staff, how we measure and help them grow and help them develop and how we, how we promote them, give them greater responsibility. And, and you know, again, first and foremost, we're, we're performing a function. We're looking at solutions, we're looking at opportunities, and we're defining a, a solution or a go-to-market strategy for them. So you know, that's what pays, pays the bills. Wherever we see that kind of spark of entrepreneurship, Having an entire company or, you know, 1,200 engineers that are all sort of rabid entrepreneurs <laughs> could, could be quite a challenge. But we are interested in that entrepreneurial flair and that willingness to, to step outside the box. And, and, you know, questions we ask during the interview process are intended to, to kind of probe that dimension. But it's just one of many dimensions. When then we have people internally, we want to stimulate them, we want to push them, we want to engage in conversation that will cause them to think a little bit differently and to react perhaps a little bit differently. Now, 
there's all types of people in the world, you know, the, the, the type A extroverts right the way through to the very introverted. And, you know, that kind of approach, you know, satisfies the, the extroverts, I think, more than the introverts. So therefore, it becomes about making sure that everybody has an opportunity to have a voice. And we have engaged with leadership development organizations that will come in and work with my staff and will we'll train throughout the breadth and depth of the organization to teach leaders, to teach managers to be as inclusive as they possibly can. Meaning, you know, if they're in a meeting, you know, rather than running through the agenda as rapidly as possible, is making time to ensure that the folks with perhaps a quieter voice or a more thoughtful voice or thoughtful in a different way, needing a little bit more time to assemble their ideas, they've got the space to be able to share those ideas and that those ideas are accepted respectfully. And again, the answer might be no, but even if the answer is no, it's not a don't ever talk to us again. It's, well, no, in this case, but I appreciate the way you were thinking about this, come up with the next idea. And it's about building that rapport, building that confidence, about building that dialogue with with staff at all levels of the organization. You know, I'm I'm now old enough to realize that, you know, there's no limitation on uh, where great ideas come from. It can be the most, you know, junior member of staff. It can be the longest tenure members of staff. It doesn't matter where a great idea comes from, as long as it's recognized as a great idea, or at least the seed of a great idea that we can then seize and and look at it, look at it from multiple dimensions and determines whether whether it's something we should be pursuing or not. Something that fascinates me is I spend a lot of time working, talking with CTOs, but they're often dealing with engineering teams, tens, maybe a couple of hundred people. What's it like to come into an organization with over a thousand engineers? And how do you have any meaningful impact on that, given that you've clearly don't know everyone's name. You probably don't even get to speak to everyone one-on-one. How do you shape and direct an organization when it gets that big? So, you know, I come at it from, from, from different ways. One is, you know, my immediate leadership team and the, uh, the, the relationship I build with them and the trust and, again, the, the rapport that I, I enjoy with them. You know, we don't always agree. <laughs> In fact, sometimes we may be quite uh, vehemently, uh, you know, disagree with each other. Um, but to be able to have that backwards and forwards, you know, having people that are bold enough to be able to push back and not just, you know, take what I say is, is to me incredibly important. So yeah, that close relationship I have with my staff and of course, then the relationship they have with their staff and their staff with their staff and so on and so forth, you know, to really set direction uh, to set goals, to hold themselves accountable, and also, you know, to take the authority in the uh, in the roles and the responsibilities they have to go and to go and execute efficiently. So that that's the one dimension that delegation, the traditional delegation through a through a large organization. There's another aspect of it is the personal touch. So I have development centers in San Francisco Bay Area, Seattle, Chicago, Dublin, Berlin, running a bunch of people to Warsaw. And I have a large organization in Bangalore, and I travel across all of those uh, those locations on quite a frequent basis. I just got back from a, a week in Bangalore working with the staff there, and yeah, when I'm in town, I'm working with the the senior leadership in each location. But I also have presentations from individual working teams, and it's great to you know I was in Bangalore I think previously in um, in November and December for a conference, spent a bunch of time in the office. So a number of presentations that three or four months later, when I go back, I can see how you know how much further they've they've taken that work and the ideas and the initiatives and, and the inventiveness that, that they've brought to their projects, and just you know sitting in 
listening to the present, asking them questions. And by the asking of questions, of course, implicitly coaching and nudging and having them, um, you know, think, uh, you know, perhaps challenge their, their thought process in a very supportive way. I think that that's incredibly valuable as well. And then, then another aspect of it is, is transparency. And, you know, I've been doing this for, for 35 years and I have not even claimed to be anywhere close to being perfect in this regard. It's a lifelong journey. But, you know, as much information as we possibly can at the right time. And it, there's some information that's corporate confidential. Uh, there's staff information that, you know, it's unreasonable, ineffective and, and inappropriate to share. But wherever possible, I like to be transparent. And I like people to ask me questions about, you know, what we're doing, how we're going about doing it. And some of those questions can be, can be awkward. They can be embarrassing. They can be difficult. And even if I don't, you know, if I have a negative visceral reaction to some of those questions, nevertheless, I like those questions. I know they bring value. And, you know, I want to be the best person, the best leader I can possibly be by answering those questions as transparently and as truthfully as possible. And I think that authenticity is a value. And again, by you know a large streak, I don't get it right all the time. You know, I can be you know quite demanding. I can be difficult at times. The intent is always a good intent, but I know as I'm working with people, you know, especially you know more junior people in the organization or people around the world in different cultures, that intent or, or the words may be misunderstood. But I believe the intent will prevail, and the intent is ultimately help people grow and get goodness you know, out of the intellect that I enjoy working with and leverage that to grow the business. I've heard it sometimes described that as an individual contributor, you're building software. As a manager, you're building and supporting your people. And that once you get kind of director and hire, you're often building organizations. You don't necessarily know the individuals, you're, you're creating culture. At what point in time was it that you figured out you, did you ever decide you wanted to build organizations more than you wanted to keep writing software? Or was that just like the way your career path took you? Um, yeah, I, you know, from time to time, you know, I'll ask my staff, you know, what, what do you, what do you want to do next year? What's your goals? What's your objectives? If I turn that question back on myself, I, I don't think I could come up with a coherent answer. I want to have fun. I want to contribute. I want to move the dial. I want to do things that are meaningful. And I want to take people along on the journey and help them grow. Now, you know, how does that translate into a role or responsibility? Well, you know, it, it doesn't, you know, on a one-to-one mapping basis, but that's the, that's kind of the test that I'm, I'm sort of consciously or, or subconsciously asking myself, am I having fun? Am I making a difference? Am I helping people grow? Am I taking them along on the, on the journey? No, I think, you know, we're products of our upbringing, you know, as a kid at, uh, at high school, you know, I was into, uh, you know, school, uh, you know, amateur dramatics and the school play. I had a, a TV uh, show in, in the UK for a while. I did a, a movie with an arts council grant out of uh, the Manchester Arts Council uh, when I was like 18 years old. So I've always loved kind of, you know, bringing people together and coming up with a product. And, you know, in those days, I wouldn't consider it a product. It was just, it was something fun to do. You know, I started off my career as a, as a back-end um, compiler writer you know, some of the, the, the sort of the nerdiest of the nerd kind of activities. But also I knew I was never going to be the best software developer. Um, I mean, there are people then around me and, and now around me that are just insanely, intuitively brilliant software authors. I'm not like that. I can crank out code and, and still do, but just 
personal code than I would code professionally these days. And I have, you know, clearly a, a deep appreciation for, for software engineering. But now pretty early on in my career, maybe after two or three years, you know, I don't think it was a conscious realization, but it was, it was there that I was never going to be the best software developer, but that I had other skills and other attributes. And look, when you're in your 20s, you know, you're still formulating, you know, who you are as a person, let alone what you can do for anybody else. And, you know, I enjoyed leading people. You know, you, you talk about individual contributor, you talk about manager. I like to talk about leaders. I like managers. Managers do a, do a great job. They run the mechanics of an operation. Leaders will drive a, a, and achieve things through, through inspiration. They may not be the domain experts, but they can get the, the domain experts to march alongside them, you know, with passion, with vigor and drive success. And I've always enjoyed that, helping get the best out of other people. And really, you know, look, if you ask me, you know, what, what's the greatest success or the thing that I'm great at, you know, I'm most proud of in my career. It's the growth of, of other people. And, you know, I've had, I believe, a lot of success with that. I've had some probably abject failures, you know, where I've misread situations or miscoached or mis, misadvised. At least when, when I've had a mistake, you know, I'm, again, you know, I've got the humility to understand and, and say, okay, you know, the horse is bolted from that particular instance. But next time I see that pattern, next time I see that situation, I'll be better armed to go after it. So I, I like managers. I love leaders, and especially, you know, because a key attribute of, of leadership is that, you know, ability to demonstrate humility, to admit you're wrong. And I think that helps with the with the bonding process. So, yeah, I, you know, I think it's a lot of history from, from growing up, a realization I was never going to be the best uh, software engineer, uh, and being enthused about working with people. I wouldn't travel as much as I do if I didn't like spending a lot of time with people. And, of course, you know, I'm completely extrovert ADD type A, you know, that end of the spectrum. I get a lot of energy from meeting with people. But over the years, you know, I've begun to appreciate there are aspects all of us have perhaps in the uh, the introverts. You know, I get tired, I get mentally exhausted uh, after spending time, you know, talking to organizations, talking to teams, talking to people that I have to uh, have to sort of recover. Maybe it's getting more acute in my old age, but I'm getting a better appreciation for the introverts amongst us. And it's neither good nor bad, right nor wrong. It's just different personalities. And of course, all different types of personalities and approach can go to make up an incredibly vibrant culture. So that inclusi- inclusivity, that uh, diversity of people I work with is exciting and it's a great educational opportunity for me. Colin, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to answer these questions. And I really look forward to catching your talk on Wednesday, May 1st in Chicago. All right. Looking forward to seeing you then, Peter. This episode was produced by the amazing team over at Dante32, a podcast production agency focusing on content strategy, audio production, and distribution. Check them out at Dante32.com. And if you'd like to receive new episodes as they're published, please subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps others to find the show. Thank you.